You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. Into our five-week series, this is week four or five weeks. We're doing seven parables. And uh, in these set of parables, we're really wrestling over the question of what is the kingdom that Jesus is establishing? What is this kingdom like? What are the values of the kingdom? And how do I ensure that I get to be part of the kingdom. Now, when I say kingdom, or when Jesus spoke about kingdom, as you see in the Gospels, you got to think about two things. Current, current life, current living. Jesus wasn't talking about kingdom as, as something that will take place someday. I mean, he was. Ultimately, it's fulfilled in heaven, whatever that looks like. But there's an aspect of kingdom that's here and now, regardless of who, who the president is, regardless of, of who conquers this nation or that nation, there's a kingdom that has been thriving for 2,000 years and moving forward, inviting people in for 2,000 years. And it's an amazing kingdom because we have an amazing God. And so this week, we want to wrestle with the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And the parable this week uh, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so we'll start in Luke 10, 25. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That was the big question. And hasn't that been the big question for at least 2,000 years and maybe longer? Like, isn't that ultimately the question that we have? I was talking to my buddy Al, and he's like, whew, that was close. He goes, it really made me think. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've come to some crossroads in my own life where, where it, made, it reminded me of my own humanity that, that this flesh and blood, this, I'm only around here for so long. Maybe it's looking in the mirror and seeing all the gray. But my time on this planet is limited, right? What do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, Jesus is talking to a theologian. When you read lawyer, think theologian. This guy knows the scriptures. He's got opinions on the scriptures. He, he writes books. He publishes blogs. That's his job. This is Billy Graham coming to Jesus and sitting down going, 
I have a question for you. And he answered, the theologian answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. You have spoken with orthodoxy. That's what the Greek word basically means. Your answer is orthodox. Do this and you will live. But, and isn't that just an amazing word, three little letters, but usually really big. I don't know why. Uh, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You may have wrestled with that question yourself. Who, who is my neighbor? Who, who do I have to really love? You know, for the, for the theologian, is it, does that include the, the, the Romans? Does it include the Sadducees? Does it include the Samaritans? Who's, in, who's included in this list of people that I have to love? And when it says that he, uh, he was wishing to justify himself in the Greek, he was wishing to declare himself righteous. Wow. Can you imagine not knowing that you're standing before the Son of God and trying to declare yourself righteous to that man? I mean... When Isaiah comes into the throne room of the Lord and he recognizes where he's at, he falls on his face like a dead man. John, in the book of Revelation on on the island, when Jesus visits him in all his glory, John, who at one point leaned up against his, his chest during a meal, But when he sees him in his full glory, he falls down as a dead man. That's a natural reaction when God comes in his full glory. Can you imagine not knowing, like years later, going, I can't believe I tried to justify myself in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder if I've done that, though. Uh, By the way, his answer uh, is orthos. It is orthodox. Uh, Jesus, at another time, will give the same answer. This This is the greatest commandment, and this is the second greatest commandment. These come out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, the ancient theologians, Hebraic theologians, all agree that Deuteronomy 6 is the greatest commandment. That is, I've never heard of anybody say, well, I don't know, there might be a better one than that. No, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, number one. 
the debate was over what was the number two? What was the second most important command? And, and this theologian, this lawyer says, he quotes uh, Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the last four words. Why do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Because he says, I am the Lord. No, no other reason. Your neighbor doesn't have to earn it. They don't have to deserve it. It doesn't have to be fair. It's because he is the Lord. And when I pray through this, and I pray through this a lot because the vengeance part and the bearing the grudge part, like that comes really natural for me. Like I, I have spent a lot of time staring at this verse because I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to, because he is the Lord. That's why I want to do it. Sometimes I don't know how, but I'm gonna keep talking to God about it. And I'll use this almost daily in my prayer to go, all right, how did I do yesterday with my wife? I and mean, she's pretty fantastic. How about my, my, my true neighbor, <laughs> that jerk? How did I do with him? How about the guy at the gas station? How about the guy, you, you guys know, driving down reserve? How about Scott Blake? How did I do with Scott Blake yesterday? How did Scott Blake, never mind, I won't ask that question. <laughs> guys, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, I'll tell you this much, that is not natural. It's not natural. And it's not fair. I don't know if you've seen what my neighbor's done to me a few times in my life. It's not fair. And, and some of the things have, that's happened to you guys, ungodly. It's not natural and it's not fair. It's spiritual. And I need the spirit to help me to do it because I, I don't have it within me apart from him. So the story goes on. Jesus replied to the theologian, and he's going to tell him a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The good news is he was half alive. And by chance, a priest by chance, I love Jesus, that's, that's so cool. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road and when he saw him, passed on the other side. Like, there's the man over there, I'm passing by, uh, for some context. First of all, they're heading, he's heading away from Jerusalem. The priest is walking towards Jericho, going, heading down, away from Jerusalem. If he is heading towards Jerusalem, you can maybe assume that maybe he had to perform priestly duties, which would prohibit him from touching a dead person or blood or, or, or a number of other things. 
Okay, so if he's heading towards Jerusalem, maybe there's a legitimate reason why he doesn't pull over, see the flashing lights, pull over and help the guy out. But he's heading towards Jericho. His priestly duties are probably, more than likely, almost certainly completed. Why is he not helping? Great question. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So the Levite did exactly what the, uh, what the priest did. Now, what Jesus doesn't indicate is which direction is the Levite going. He may have responsibilities at the temple. He may have responsibilities at the temple. We don't know. But we do know this. The restrictions on the people of Israel versus the Levites versus the priests are different. Let's take a look at this next graph, all right? So the big red circle, that is all the men of Israel. Levites fall in. Not, not all the men of Israel are Levites. You guys, you guys remember Venn diagrams? You wonder why we ever use this? So not all the Levites are, are, or not all the men of Israel are Levites, but all Levites are men of Israel. All the priests are Levites and part of Israel. But again, not all the men of Israel are either Levites or priests. This, this is important to understand. Uh, Logan asked a great question. Why, why is this parable about a priest and a Levite? And we'll get to it in a moment, a, a Samaritan. Why three? Um, one thing to know is 18 times in the scriptures, 18 times the author identifies, talks about the priests, the Levites, and the men of Israel. And so this became a common trope for, for rabbis. This became a common story that they would tell. They would, they'd tell a story about a priest, a Levite, and, and not a man, but let's do the next slide, but a Pharisee. Because the rabbis were Pharisees. And when the Pharisees told this story from their perspective, who were the two bad guys in the story? The priests and the Levite. 100% of the time. The priest did it wrong, the Levite did it wrong, but the Pharisee did it right. So as Jesus tells this parable, and, and he told the theologian, told the Pharisee to, to go do likewise, and he starts telling this parable, he's going, oh, I know what Jesus is doing here. He's going to make me the hero. He's going to make me the hero of this story. And he doesn't, because let's look at the next slide. He talks about the Samaritan. 
That's not even part of Israel. That's the best part. Now, when he does this, when he changes the story, you, you got to ask yourself, why? Like, oh, that's weird. It's always the Pharisee. Why, 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 the, why the Samaritan? So hang on to that thought. Hang on to that thought. So verse 33, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, came upon the guy that was left half dead. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Wow. This is amazing already. I mean, not only did he pull over and call, call for the tow truck, but he, he starts feeding the guy. He, he dresses the wounds. Like he, he's doing everything. He's like the ambulance and, and the food truck and all that, all at once. On the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Wait a minute, this is a foreign land. Who knows if this guy had any intentions on returning before seeing the guy half dead, but he decides to come back and pay the expenses. And, and two denarii is not chump change either. Jesus asked this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Guys, it's, it's a basic tenet of Christianity that we have we have both received mercy from God and we are to extend mercy to the people that live around us. But everyone? All, all, all of them? That's what the theologian wanted to ask Jesus. I think that it was mercy. And this, and this word is, is, is a unique word. We'll, we'll talk about this in footnotes. It's a kind of a big conversation, but this word for mercy, this word mercy, and, and this is what changed Rome. Do you realize that at the time of Christ that the Roman Empire was 99% pagan? 99% pagan, but within 200 years, it was 80% Christian. And that was before Constantine came in and, and made it the state religion. That was when, when the religion was illegal. 80%. Why? I think a, a culture built on being merciless, dominating, controlling, destroying. 
would find mercy to be so different and, and, and it, it changed it changed Rome. I think mercy is our greatest tool in a div- in a culture that's so divisive, in an American culture that's so divisive, and it's the last tool we, we pull out of our tool belt. I mean, show me all the mercy that you see on Facebook, right? Between people of differing views. Lots of mercy going on on Facebook and Twitter. Whoo! I really have to limit my time on both of those. It's just so hard to watch. It's hard to watch the lack of mercy between two Christian believers that that just see things differently, let alone a a believer and non-believer. The lack of mercy that I've seen in the last two years over whether or not we should wear a mask or shouldn't wear a mask, should be vaxxed, shouldn't be vaxxed. That's been hard to watch. People that I love and cherish, just tear each other apart. We've talked about the fact that when Jesus tells a parable, like any other rabbi, I mean, I don't want to, I always kind of want to like do an asterisk when I say that. Like Jesus is the rabbi of rabbis, but he uses rabbinical tools when he tells his stories, he always connects the story to another, to an Old Testament story. Let's see if this next Old Testament story may have some connection. Let's, let's see if we can see some connections here. Out of 2 Chronicles 28. The sons of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they took also a great deal of spoil from, from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. Now, when we read the sons of Israel carried away captive, this is the 10 northern tribes, and, and they went down to the two southern tribes, Judah, and, and attacked them. So this is, this is brothers, this is cousins, this is a civil war, and, and, they, and they took the spoil back to Samaria. So it's really Samaritans coming, coming down to the Judeans, attacking them, and then returning home to Samaria with their spoil. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, and you have slain them in a rage which has even reached heaven. Now, you are proposing to subjugate for yourselves the people of Judah and Jerusalem for male and female slaves. Surely, do you not have transgressions of your own against your God? Now, therefore, listen to me and return the captives whom you have captured from your brothers, for the burning anger of the Lord is against you. That's not a fun job as a prophet to come and say those words, is it? Then some of the heads of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of 
Johanan, Bechariah, the son of Beshilamoth, Jehezekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, arose against those who were coming from battle, and he said to them, you must not bring the captives in here, for you're proposing to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, adding to our sins, our guilt and our guilt, for our guilt is great, so that his burning anger is against Israel. So the armed men left the captives in the spoil before the officers and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name arose, took captives, and they clothed all their naked ones from the spoil, and they gave them clothes and sandals, fed them, gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. Wow. Did, did, did Jesus do an okay job of weaving these two stories together, of connecting these two stories? I mean, did, like, it was kind of an okay job. I mean, let's just look at some of the uh, connections. I mean, there was, there was oil on the wounds. There was donkeys for the feeble. Uh, oh, by the way, Jericho, that seems prominent in both these stories. And maybe Samaritans and Jews. Do you think that Pharisee, that theologian, the lawyer, could not connect the dots? of the story that Jesus told and this story. Imagine, I imagine he did. First, Jesus changes the third character in the story, the, or the fourth character, as you might want to call it, the three amigos. He changed the third, third guy in that trio from a, Pharisee to a Samaritan. What? A Samaritan? And then he connects it to this story where the Samaritans are the heroes of the story. And we got to wrestle with the question why? Why did he connect these stories? Could be lots of things, could be lots of reasons. I got a couple of opinions of my own, and since I'm the one with the microphone, here we go. Um, first and foremost, we classify people by their past. Why do we, do we not show love to certain people? Because we classify them, we, we pigeonhole them according to their past. Now, if you know the Samaritans, they've got a past. You know, my, my wife and I, we could, we could share stories and it'll set your hair on fire. Uh, we've got stories. The Samaritans make Christy and I look like amateurs. <laughs> First of all, like I said, they're, they're cousins, right? There was a civil war between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. 900 years. No big deal. Enemies for 900 
years. I've had some long feuds with people that lasted like 15, 16, 17 days. <laughs> 900 years? Are you kidding me? Wow. That is, and, and I don't know, maybe your family situation is hard. I've had some, actually, I've had some hard family situations that lasted 10 years. I can't imagine 900 year feud. And then the Samaritans, they, they married outsiders, which was like one of the greatest sins you could commit if you're a Hebrew of the Jewish faith. And they completely changed the, the way they worshiped God to suit their own needs. They, they incorporated idol worship in the process. It, it, was, it was an awful mess what they created through their worship. Some of the ugliest worship in all the nations around Israel, they, they, they incorporated. I find this interesting. And the prophet says, calls him out, surely do you not have transgressions of your own against the Lord your God? And isn't that a question that maybe we should keep at the forefront of our minds when we're looking at the people around us and classifying their sins and trying to figure out if we should help or not? I, I know of one guy that was not going to help. Uh, he was trying to figure out how he's going to divvy up his inheritance and, and like which of the, which of the great grandkids was going to get uh, like college money. And there was one great grandchild that was not going to get college money because of choices his mom had made. I was so saddened by that comment. I, I don't know what he decided, but I couldn't, I couldn't believe my ears. But we do that sometimes. Somehow withholding that would teach the granddaughter? I, I, I don't know. I think the other reason why Jesus shared this story and connected this story, because he could have told the story any way he wanted to. It's, it's his parable. But the Samaritans listened to the prophet and go read the scriptures. It always turns out better for the people when they listened to the prophet. Always turned better. God would forgive people if they would just listen to the prophet. And I wonder if Jesus was asking the Pharisee, will you listen? After this conversation, theologian, will you go live differently? After this conversation, theologian, will you stop trying to justify yourself before me?
And I wonder for, for you and I today, as we hear this parable, as we hear the words of Jesus, will we listen to the prophet? Will we listen to the prophet and choose to live differently because of what Jesus Christ says? Because it will go better for us if we do. 100% of the time. So some implications. Some implications. Your love for God is best measured by how well you treat those who consider you their enemy. That's how it's measured. Your love for the Almighty is measured in how well you love the people that say, I hate that guy. I got people I've never met before that hate me. You should try meeting me. It gets worse. So much more ammunition. And, 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 you know, we, we, we say that, oh, I love, I love Jesus because, you know, here's my theological, you know, like, this, this, this is what my the, theology is. I've got it written down. I've got it figured out. Or we say that we love God based off of how many times we show up for Sunday worship. Or we love God by how big our Bible is, or I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things. So many things that we, so many different ways we try to measure and communicate to other people how, I, like I know all the verses. I got them all memorized. Jesus says you could be a Samaritan And if you love your neighbor really well. By the way, that picture of the Samaritan on the outside, I think Jesus was inviting the Samaritan in to the inner circle through a story. Remember that he was excluded? You know, the disciples ran, ran to Samaria when they found out that, that some, of the, uh, some of the apostles or some of the uh, missionaries when they were sharing with the Samaritans about Christ and they, and they chose Christ, they ran there. Peter ran there. John ran there. They were so excited. They, I think they remembered the story. And the question we've been wrestling with throughout the last 2,000 years, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and probably older than that because there's been philosophers for 1,000 years before Christ, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, take care of your enemy. Love your enemy. Number two, when we choose to justify ourselves, we may impress man. 
we might impress man, but we will never impress God. You've seen it. You've had a friend, you've had an acquaintance justify themselves. They would, they would say something and you're, and you're like, did he, did he really just say that? How many times have you been impressed when someone tried to justify themselves to you? It happens. Oh, that kind of makes sense. I, I had a chief, and I don't know if he knew that we knew, but we knew that he was, he was, a, very, he was a selfish person, which is, as a chief master sergeant in the Air Force, that doesn't, that doesn't go over well. High enlisted ranks, like it's all about serving other people. Even in the military, they got that figured out. And a guy that's just 100% for himself. And he'll justify himself. Number three, we are called to love everyone. And this was not something new that Jesus was bringing to the table. This was always the case. This was always the case. This was always God's idea. Remember the, the second verse, the second greatest commandment, Leviticus 19.18? Well, just a few verses later, we read this. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. And again, why do we love that person? Why do we love the people that are uh, finding, uh, finding asylum in the U.S.? I am the Lord your God. That's the reason. That's why we do it. Always God's idea. Number four, our love should look like God's. And I know that sounds like maybe a little bit of redundancy, but I have this quote from Henry Cloud that says this. This principle is taught in scripture. We love because he first loved us. In other words, we learn to be loving because we are loved. Grace must come from the outside for us to be able to develop it inside. Our love should look like the love that we have received, which means we need to invest in that love, that we need to experience and enjoy that love. We need to understand the love that Christ has for us. And as we do that, it gives us greater agency to love the people that were our enemies too. Number five, loving our neighbor will cost us, Jesus says. Loving our neighbor will cost us. It'll cost us time, money, energy. We see the, the Samaritan expend all those things. It may even cost us a reputation. So we hang out with those people, whomever they may be. 
So some discipleship conversations to, to have this week. In your care groups, in your life transforming groups, in your one-on-one discipleship relationships. Uh, in what way do my actions not match up to my beliefs? Wrestle with that. That is my problem. Like I could talk about it, living it, it's the hard part. <laughs> And I get paid to do this. But it's still worth looking at. It's still worth wrestling through. Number two, in what ways do I attempt to justify myself? In what way do I attempt to justify myself with my wife, with my family, at work? In what way do I try to justify myself before God? Number three, who do I fail to recognize as my neighbor? Who have I written off? Who, is, who have I determined is beyond redemption? Who have I determined that I can no longer pray for that person? Or there's no hope that they will ever change. Number four, who do I still struggle to love. What is our history? Because usually there's reasonable things involved. There's history. The Judeans and Samaritans, they had 900 years of history. That's a long time to get things right, and they didn't until Christ came along. And that's when we see redemption take place. And what am I expecting of them? What have I predetermined in my mind that they need to do before I will do my part? What's that look like? Number five, in what ways do I limit what I'm willing to do for my neighbor? You know, I, could, I can imagine the priest saying, you know what, I told that man not to go down that road at night. If he's going to go down there in the middle of the night, I'm not helping him. Sees Frank on the side of the road, half dead. Frank, I told you, dude. I, uh, I remember this last week, uh, my wife had made a, a recommendation to her, to, to her uh, eldest son, saying, hey, you should... Uh, Start up your car tonight. It's been sitting out there for a month. And just make sure that it works tonight so that tomorrow, you know, it's ready to go. I'm like, nice job. Nice job, lady. As I'm driving home and driving into the driveway, I'm thinking, if he did not go out there and do something with that car, and he comes to me tomorrow morning, heck no. I'll be so busy. And then I, then I noticed that he had actually done what mom had suggested. And then I kind of had to repent of my crappy attitude. And then I had to celebrate that my son followed through on some, on some wise words. I'm like, so many things to process through right now. But we, but we do that. We're like, I told you. 
and you didn't listen, so I'm turning my back, or I'm walking on the other side of the road. So wrestle through that question. What ways do I limit what I'm willing to do for my neighbor? I just answered my question. <laughs> Jesus asks you today, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And when you answer the one who showed mercy, Jesus says to you, go and do the same. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.